Lavi and Ollie met while picking cherries in Australia. Both of them were on working holiday visas. Now, it could have been Ollie's van or, or maybe it was his guitar playing that night, but something sparked for both of them and they've been travel partners and life partners ever since. They seem to fit together like pieces of a puzzle, sort of naturally falling into roles that have allowed them to take their travel budget and stretch it even farther. They have a simple mantra and secret, I guess, for travel in life. That secret, the best things in life are free. Now, after traveling by van and backpacking and even cycling, they finally found the perfect mode of travel. And with that, they rode around the world on, of course, a motorcycle. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Sam It's wind pressure that powers the Moto Breeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets a thousand miles or sixteen hundred kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets motobreeze.com and green chili adventure gear offers american-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles you can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system and of course green chili adventure gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it tough reliable gear greenchiliadv.com Best Rest Products is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters, cyclepump.com. Hi, my name is Lavinia Scholl. I'm from Germany and I'm a motorcycle traveler. Hi, I'm Oliver Gamblin and I'm from England and I'm also a motorcycle traveler. <laughs> Ollie, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you. Thank you. Great thank to be you so here. Much. So I, I'm, we had a lot of trouble actually getting that little piece of audio right there. And Lavi, I'm curious, is, is, is it that you just don't know what you do anymore? <laughs> so let's say that I'm traveling since 10, 15 years. And to say like, I'm just constantly traveling is, uh, it sounds a little bit funny, but yeah, this is actually a... a <laughs> What, what I'm doing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I used to say that you were a fruit picker extraordinaire and pizza chef. <laughs> yeah. um, because that's two jobs you've done. Me, I could have said um, gold mine, gold miner <laughs> slash kiwi fruit marketing. Well, our last job was actually working in a factory here in England yes. for three months. Yes. Mm. Uh, this is already like two years ago. Back in tw- back in 2021. Yes. yes we were, we right. were just like uh, packing boxes at a warehouse. So. But to be mentioned as well, we are not rich. <laughs> we are actually working hard for our money, <laughs> but we are very good at saving and um, making our money last yes. for as long as we can. That, that's yes. really the key, isn't it, to yeah. what you're doing is, 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 is uh, probably it's most more important than anything else is how mm-hmm. you spend your money. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think. Yeah, definitely. It's like um, when the money comes in, the longer it takes for it to go out of your account, then, you know, the longer you can kind of do what you want to do. Because once you've run, once you've run out of money, 
then there's really only one choice at that point. You have to make more money, don't you? Going back in the factory, hey? Going back to the factory, <laughs> put the boots on. So what do you do to make your money last? Like what are some, give some examples of things that you might do or suffer through that other people wouldn't think about. Well, the chief financial officer. Uh, so I have to obviously request from, from Lavi. She's the, she's the CFO of, of, uh, of us too. So <laughs> So she, 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 she controls the in and out. So when I'm, so if I'm like, we're on the roads and I'm saying, you know, oh, we should, I should, we should get like a, we should go for lunch here. We should have a coffee. We should, then she comes in. The answer is always no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Um, I think that if I was on my own traveling, um, I would certainly spend a lot more in general, but Lavi is very, very, she's perfected the art of just it's, it's about not getting unnecessary, um, things just that you might just want on the fly. You might just want this or want that. Oh, I want a chocolate bar. I want a coffee. But no, Lavi's very good at saying, no, you know, we can make our own coffee. We can, you know, we can get some stuff from the supermarket. We can, you know, resourceful and frugal in a way that allows us both to, to continue for a lot longer than we would. In my head, I always think the best things are for free. And I mean, things like this, uh, being on the beach, enjoying a sunset, stuff like this, you know, wild camping at on places where you just think, wow. Uh, so I, I gain way much more experiences from uh, the free stuff, what you can get here on the world than to... Um, feed myself like you know all this stuff like going to mcdonald's or buying coffees or getting a new shirt yes so yeah i absolutely love that <laughs> best things are free that is fantastic and and the thing is though, like i mean to buy a cup of coffee it, it, that's not going to kill you that little bit or, or a chocolate exactly. bar every now and then is not going to kill you but what you're saying is, is is almost cliched that that thing of watch your pennies and the dollars take care of themselves mm-hmm. yeah yeah exactly it's uh well we have for the whole trip recorded our expenditure in different categories so eating out being a separate category from groceries so we can so we have been monitoring how much we've been spending out for stuff like that um and i think that's a really good way of kind of uh you know totaling it up because then you do see that um you know the odd thing here and there does end up adding to adding up to a lot and we've been you know we can see that over over a month we can see oh wow it got up to three four hundred pounds you know maybe five hundred dollars it could be in a month and we don't realize that we're spending that until you start to really track it and you go oh you know what actually we we it does add up we as people always look for um incredible things, special formulas, things like that. So why people spend so much money when they're trying to do self-improvement or finances for that matter. You know, they'll spend a lot of money to try and see somebody's, uh, somebody's plan of how to save money and how to become rich, all those sorts of things. But really, really what it comes down to is, and I think we all understand it is just, it's, it's very simple. You've got so much money coming in, so much money going out, the less you have going out, like you're saying, the more that you're going to have left over. But for some reason, it's, it's a concept that a lot of us have a lot of trouble with. Yeah, people think that the, the people think the answer is is bringing in more. That's what most people most yeah. people think you need to bring in more. But I find that the more you bring in, the more you just allow yourself to spend. Um, so I really, really believe that it's about how much is going out. And yeah, I mean the easiest thing is um, the, the the simplest way 
that we do is you literally just try not to spend anything. Or if you spend your money, then think about it. Like what we're doing now is always checking on Facebook Marketplace if we can find secondhand things like because we have to replace our cameras and our video equipment quite often. So we uh, avoid buying cameras new. Actually, we always try to source them from Facebook Marketplace or other secondhand shops. And like this, you can save a lot of money because a camera costs new in the shop, like 500 pounds. And on Facebook Marketplace, you can find it for 200. Mm-hmm. It's still a lot of money, but um, we, we're trying to make some money with it as well. So it's like, you know, it's an investment. We, it's an investment. Yes. Yeah. But, but so smart. Let somebody else, you know, have the, the pleasure of opening the box when it's brand new. Let them pay for that premium and yeah. then you get it after. I mean, that's my thought process with it is too. I, I always prefer to buy used but just for that reason. I don't yes. care about being the first one to open the package. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. Let somebody else go ahead, open it. Yeah. And then, then give it to me certainly. for a lot less money. <laughs> sure. When it comes to electronics and when it comes mm-hmm. to as well, um, motorcycles, for example, definitely the, 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 the drop from new price to secondhand, oh, yeah. even if it's only a couple of years, um, a couple of years old is just, it's still a massive drop. Um, yes. Yeah. And we have talked to people and they said like oh yes i just need this feature more on my motorbike and i need i just wait for these boots and i just set myself up like this and you know they're trying to find an excuse just not to leave well they just should not worry about this feature or that feature they should just jump on their bikes and just go you you just mentioned uh, the trip um, Ollie, you, you said something about you, you've kept track of all your finances and yes. all the money you spent on this trip. That's just this trip. You, you guys have done more than this trip. And, and I don't want, I want to go back. Actually, I'd, I'd like to find out how you guys met. Cause you, you mentioned fruit picker for somehow I think that has something to do with this, this, uh, this whole connection story. So where, where do we start with that? So, um, we met each other in Australia when we were both on the backpacking working holiday visas. And yes, we met on a cherry farm when we were doing, cause, um, uh, working holiday visas, um, you have to do three months of farm work in Australia to qualify for the year, uh, to qualify for your second year in Australia. So uh, all the backpackers, um, they have to kind of do all the seasons on, on the farms to get that, the, the three months that they're required. So it's kind of a melting pot where all the backpackers are meeting up and, uh, living in tents. I had a, I bought a camper van. So I was living in a camper van. Lavi had a car and a tent and we met each other in Tasmania on a cherry farm. And, um, you know, it was this really romantic, uh, thing going on. We were sitting around the fire and Ollie grabbed his guitar and sang a song. There you go. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like short after that, we were kissing and then he moved into my tent. There we go. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I kind of thought it was something else. I thought you saw his camper van and that would have been impressive and that would have attracted you. Uh, that's true. <laughs> no, because I, I owned a camper van before. So I was like, you know, oh, yeah, a, four-wheel, a four-wheel you, drive truck, I would have looked maybe twice, but <laughs> a camper van. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I had a Unimog, yeah. wouldn't have had to say a word. Wouldn't have had to say a word. So Lavi, what song? Was Ollie singing? Oh, that's a good question. I don't remember. <gasps> well, I'm a musician song. and I was often, I was playing a lot of my own music. Mm-hmm. It was probably some, it was probably maybe, some of my music. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, you, I, don't I know. think, to be honest, I think she I was, was drunk as well. I think she was drunk. <laughs> yeah. 
You shouldn't have thrown that in there. Yeah, that ruins it. Cut that out. That ruins yeah. it. Are you sure it wasn't the, the, the camper van was a pop top? Are you sure it wasn't the camper van? Because yeah, that's right. It was a pop top. Right? So, so you meet Chicken Fairy, which I think is very romantic. I mean, I think that's really neat because that's I, I kind of pictured you. I was picturing more like, you know, you're picking fruit and all of a sudden you spot the other person. And But I mean, the guitar thing, it's a great story. Both our, ha- so, both our hands reach the fruit at the same yeah, time. Right. Oh my exactly. God, we have to change our origin story. That should be, that's it. I like you that. You really that's should work better. on that because it just, it doesn't need to be made up. Just refined. That's all. Yeah. Just yeah, a, a little right, bit to make true. it really, but, uh, but, really sparkle. But, but we did then move into the camper van and um, then we um, we actually uh, spent the next, I think, year or so driving around all of Australia, working different jobs and living in the camper van together. So in the end, wow. she did, because um, I had bought the camper van with a different friend that I'd been traveling with before. But then Lavi basically like replaced replaced him and then I just traveled with you and I had to pay him off for the other half of the camper van. What you do? You just dump him out? You just say, oh, hey, buddy. So, it was you know, really, know. really convenient because he had just met a girl from Canada and <laughs> he was like, I want to buy a camper van, a new one. I want to buy one with, with her and go travel with her. And I said, that's perfect because I've got <laughs> your replacement right here and I'll just uh, pay you out the other half of the camper van. These camper vans aren't really very expensive in Australia. We're talking like old camper vans with 300,000 kilometers on them. So right. yeah. Bought from the last backpacker that was Exactly. There. They're basically <laughs> right. from one to the next to the yeah. next in perpetuity until it completely <laughs> breaks down. In fact, we saw one camper van out there uh, that had over a million kilometers on the clock. Wow. I'm not wow. kidding. That's incredible. Because they That's just keep good. going. They just keep going. What kind of camper van is this? Um, that one. Oh, I don't remember what it was. It was because it was a slightly larger sort of bus style one rather than a, like a, I, I had a Ford Econovan. Oh, so well, they're not you, just one make. Like, like I was expecting to say, you know, like the Volkswagen van or something. Not, not necessarily that. No, but I mean, you won't see the Volkswagens out there because those would be too expensive. No, yeah, you're talking course, Toyota Hiaces, Ford Econovan, I I Nissan, Mi- Nissan um, just basically the same as the Econovan mm-hmm. or Mitsubishi. They do one as well. So all um, kinds the, of them. Those are the ones you'll see. All um, it's mostly apart from Ford. It's all Japanese brands of vans that you'll see out there. All the camper vans, mm-hmm. uh, and these vans, you know, these are costing about how much did yours cost? A couple of grand. My one, yeah, like three thousand Australian dollars, which yeah. is like one and a half thousand pounds, which yeah. is about one thousand seven hundred US dollar. <laughs> <laughs> converting to convert to convert. So anyway, you, you cruise around Australia, and that must have been amazing in itself. That adventure. Yeah, that was actually, and that was, um, that was both of us, for both of us, that was our first major travel, mm-hmm. just traveling, wasn't it? Um, just traveling. Where yes, we just traveling. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we liked it so much that at the end of that second year, you only get two years and at the end of the two years, they say, that's it, you're done. You got to leave. So right. we then applied for the same program in New Zealand. They do also working holiday visa there and you get a year, um, so we actually went straight from Australia to New Zealand and then we spent another year in New Zealand on that visa as well. Wow. And after three years of doing this, how do you like even imagine having to go back to a normal life? We didn't. Yeah, I think that's, I think we, yeah, we just didn't, you <laughs> see. I mean, we couldn't, we no. couldn't, we were totally, uh, yeah, fixed. Yeah. I mean, we, 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 had, at that point, um, we were sort of like, We'll do some volunteering, um, conservation volunteering, because at the time we, we, we were um, doing, a, doing a, a bit of conservation volunteering in Australia and New Zealand. And we said, um, we'll... Yeah. 
Yeah. We'll go to we'll go to Indonesia, we'll go to Bali and we'll volunteer there for three months replanting rainforest. And then our plan was buy a couple of bicycles and just start riding back to, to England from Southeast Asia. That was the mm-hmm. original plan. But this was just when COVID started to lock everything down. And ultimately, that whole conservation booking that we had done um, for three months was cancelled. And we got stuck in Australia for six months during COVID. And there were no flights out at all. So we had to stay. We stayed there in Queensland. And um, uh, when we we finally got a flight back to the UK in in mid-2020, and um, we, that's when we, we also continued with the idea of bicycles, you see. We, we thought, okay, we'll buy some bicycles and we'll test out doing um, some cycle travel. Because uh, we'd, you know, we'd backpacked a bit in Southeast Asia in between. We'd, we'd been in a camper van traveling. So we thought, let's try out bicycles. Because, you know, from an economic perspective, from an economical perspective, they are the cheapest form of transport. There's no sure. fuel. There's nothing well, crossing walking, borders. Yeah. You, you don't, yeah, I mean, exactly. And it's still faster than walking. Faster than walking. <laughs> yeah. Borders, you don't need to worry about any documentation. Mm-hmm. That So so we thought, okay, let's cycle from, uh, it's called John O'Groats to Land's End. It's a famous way in the UK. It goes from the very northern tip of Scotland to the very southern tip of England. It's basically crossing the whole UK. It's about... It's about 1,300 miles or so. I think that's what we ended up doing. 2,000 kilometers. 2,000 kilometers. 2,000 kilometers, right. And um, we, did, we did that and we got to the end of that. But at the end of it, we said, you know what? We're, we're not going to be able to do this further afield. <laughs> this is really exhausting. Because you've known that you have to pedal these bicycles. And it's yeah. kind of heavy, right? <laughs> it, was, it was tough going, I must admit. We weren't cyclists before and we just gave it a go. We yeah. managed to do it. Yeah. And know. as well, we just invested in really, really cheap uh, bikes. Like our bikes were under 100 pounds and just the worst bikes in the world. So, so they fell apart. It wasn't really good. Yeah, it was definitely hey, an hang adventure. On, though. I, I want to ask you about the cycling thing. But, but actually, I want to go back to New Zealand for a minute too, but, but I want to ask you about the biking thing. So after all of that time, I think you, you, you said you're 37 days riding the bicycles Yes, and that's a huge trek. Did you not fall in love with that feeling of riding a bicycle? Was there ever, like, was that you oh, know, a transition for you? My, uh, my, to be frank, my bum was hurting so much. I couldn't think about the joy of bicycling at this point. <laughs> so I was didn't done. Run you over. I, and you know, you know what I asked about cyclists, I said to them, um, what do you do to combat this? And they say, you have to get like an even harder seat. <laughs> you know, like you see the seats that they, they're riding on and they're like, they're like, um, they look like a beak of a, they look like a bird's skull sort of thing. And they're like, bone- more like a plug than a seat. Oh my God. They, and, and they're like, yeah, yeah. It sits, you know, it goes bone to bone. It sits on your bone. And I'm like, <sighs> that hurts. That's horrible. Uh, yeah. Um, I didn't, get into it. I, I liked it, mm-hmm. but it was very exhausting. It was just constantly very exhausting. Yes. And yeah. if you think about trying to travel like that, you want to mm-hmm. visit places, you want to see places, interact with people, visit, say, you know, temples and whatever along the way, points of interest. And I just couldn't imagine cycling for 20 miles and then having to get off the bike and then walk around, you know, something which should be very amazing world wonder to see. But mm-hmm. you just, but you just like, you just want to sit down. You're just so tired. And then especially having to turn around afterwards and ride back. Like you've made a detour yeah. from your route. 
how much of a detour can you make on a bicycle? You know, when you think like every pedal of the way, you're thinking mm-hmm. this is not even our way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. and you know what, whilst we were doing the John O'Groats to Land's End trip, we saw the motorcyclists passing <laughs> us on the road, you know, we saw them smiles on their faces, the wind blowing through their hair, waving, waving. <laughs> they're off to the pub for lunch. You know, meanwhile, we're going to get to that pub maybe at 6 PM. They or just, the next day. Or the next day. <laughs> And you know what? It was during the trip. We were sitting there after a day, a, a solid day of riding. And we were just like, you know what? Maybe we should think about getting a motor and doing this as a motorcycle trip if we want to go further afield. And you'd never heard of a motorcycle before this. We hadn't. We'd ne- we had ne- <laughs> no, we- let me just leave it there. I want to go back <laughs> to New Zealand because all this hard work of riding a bicycle. And you guys walked 3,000 kilometers in New Zealand. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, after we, had, after we had finished in Australia and we got the working holiday visa for New Zealand. And again, it was like, let's, we want to travel. We want to do some hiking. We, we want to see New Zealand. What's the best way we can do that? And I think you suggested to me, Lavi, I think you said... Yeah, I think it was because me and my friend, I did like my first overnight uh, walk pretty much in my life when I was like 25. And I I thought that's the best thing in the world. So me and my friend, we booked a 10-day hike in Tasmania and we did this. And after this 10 days, I was like, okay, I want to do this now forever and then i suggested it to yeah. you like oh come on let's hike new zealand and you yeah. said yeah okay <laughs> it was like let's do it and you had done i think yeah 10 days something like maybe 150 kilometers or something yes and uh, and yeah. then i like oh, how long is this trail that they've got in new zealand and she said 3000 kilometers <laughs> it's like i think 1850 miles <laughs> and i had never done an overnight hike in my life either <laughs> you know, I hadn't done any training and we, we hadn't done really any training. And, and I was just like, we'll start, we'll give it a go and see what happens. And, um, yeah, it was 166 days later, we made it to the bottom at, at the end. Uh, yeah. we, 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 we did it. 166, 166 days. We slept in our tent every night. Mm-hmm. Um, or like one of the hiking huts perhaps that they have on in the mountains. But, um, yeah, just sleeping out every night and, um, under all weathers and just every day, 166 days in a row, just walking your walk, 20, 20 miles. No, No, less, 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 20 to 30 kilometers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That must've been absolutely fantastic. It was a crazy journey. It was a crazy journey. Yeah. I mean, you get like a different state of mind after that much walking in a row. I mean, we were just, uh, you get yeah. in like a state of Zen and it really changes your perspective. And it yeah, was and so good. In general, it's just the best country to do hiking because it's, I mean, on, on these two islands, they're, they're just living 2 million people. So it's pretty much empty and it's, it has the best nature, like untouched nature. Mm-hmm. It was every day, just, yeah, a dream. Yeah. A and dream. It, and ranging from tropical in the mm-hmm. north, like jungle almost, you know, like really muddy, terrible to walk through, but still great. Jungle, volcanoes in the south, it's these beautiful sort of alpine mountains and beach forest. And then when you get very down to the south, um, the town names um, like Dunedin and Invercargill, like emote ideas of Scotland. And it's really like, gets more like Scotland down there, much more windy, windswept and barren. And it's a really varied islands. Yeah. It's really super varied, beautiful. 
And Ollie, you, you said you, you sort of had a different perspective on it. What, what sort of things? You just, you have a lot of time every day, hours of walking. You can listen to music so much. You can listen to, you know, podcasts and so on. But at some point you're, yeah, you're just walking and, and, you know, thinking and, you know, meditating and contemplating. And we were, you know, writing like our own philosophies for life along the way, because you just, you, you just have like, you, you, you have just, just time. You're just walking. You just have time. And it's not, not many times in life that people can allow that much time to just being every day for such a long period of time. So I think it's super freeing. And we said that like, that pe- people should do this type of long distance hike, maybe not this long distance, but in general, at least multi-day. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's a great therapy. It's a great thing to open your mind, open your perspective. Um, it should be something that people just have to do as a rite of passage in their life, I think. Yeah. And also being so close, close to nature, actually, it's just a, a big point because I grew up in the city and of course you have there a tree and maybe here a bush, but <laughs> to hmm. be like every day in the mountains <laughs> and experience <laughs> such, right. such crazy nature. This is, uh, yeah, I have no words for that. Yeah. So you, you back to the, the bicycle trip, that, that wonderful bicycle trip that you never fell in love with. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, you decide to, um, you decide to go motorized, but you didn't quite get on the bike though at that point, did you? Um, so um, after we decided that when, if we wanted to go further afield, because we, we had wanted to do a sort of bigger world trip. Um, we'd been around Australasia, you know, Australia, New Zealand and Southeast Asia for a little while, you know, came back to England. And that's when we were, were like, we need to do something big now. Um, we want to do a world trip. We want to, we want to go around the world. And after we'd said, okay, not on bicycles, let's do it on a motorcycle. Um, neither of us had any sort of touring motorcycle experience or anything to this extent. I had ridden a smaller motorcycle around London um, when I used to live in London. Um, Lavi had ridden some bikes in Southeast Asia, little bikes again, scooters or 125s. Um, so we didn't... Uh, we just sort of started from 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 nothing with that again, just like we did with the walking and with the cycling. We just said, you know what, this is the now our idea for the best form of transport if we want to go around the world. This is going to be the most economical. It's going to be faster than bicycling, less exhausting. And so we just said, all right, let's just go around the world on a motorcycle then. Mm. But when you said do something big, you said, you know, you guys said you wanted to do something big or we have to do something big. What does that mean? Well, we, because we had been, as I said, around Southeast Asia, around Australasia, um, we had been traveling for a long time, but we hadn't, we hadn't seen, we hadn't seen South America, North America. We hadn't seen uh, much of Africa. We hadn't seen, you know, Central Asia or, you know, there was so much of the world. There was, there was so much of the world still there and we hadn't, we'd spent quite a few years out traveling, but we felt like we hadn't, um, we hadn't seen as much as we wanted to see. So we thought if we do a trip around the world, we will sort of, you know, uh, get around to those places and really feel like, okay, we, I feel like we've seen a good part of the world. 
But from a travel point of view, the, the time that you guys spent in New Zealand, Australia, and th- th- that was a, a slower moving and really arguably a, a more intense experience as far as travel goes. I mean, you were really experiencing these places. You were living, you know, what many people would say, like a movie. It's like a dream life, really. <laughs> and and at that point, you feel like you, you feel motivated to go out and do something bigger. And it's, it's kind of like from the outside looking in, it's it almost sounds a little bizarre. It's like you're already doing this incredible thing, yet you feel like you're not doing enough. Yeah, I think that's the addiction of travel. I think that's the addiction of it is you see places, but <laughs> exactly. the more places you see, the more mm-hmm. people you talk to, and the, the more list, other places you want to see. get just longer and longer. And for me, there was like, there is no end. And I just wanted really to go around the world to feel then suddenly, or to feel a little bit of this like satisfaction in myself to say like, okay, I have seen something. I can now <laughs> chill out a little bit because <laughs> seriously, I, we, I, I was super addicted. I'm still super addicted to travel. I just want to to go around and see places and and do things and meet people and see the world and you know learn about different cultures and yeah and we we had already we liked we really liked the idea of doing journeys through places uh, rather than say you know you fly to a place you visit you fly to another place you visit we you know because of the cycling the walking and the driving around australia we we really liked that idea of moving through places so then it was just, I think, the logical step to say, right, now let's just just yeah, draw just, a line around the yes, whole world. Because you know what? Even now we're thinking like, oh, we haven't been there. And look <laughs> what is up there, actually. <laughs> you know, the, if you have the world map in front of you, you, I have the feeling always I want to go everywhere. And I kind of have the feeling still. But this trip was at least a good way of, yeah. <laughs> of, of saying, okay, you know what? There's certain places now that we definitely have been through and yeah. <laughs> we've really ridden every single road through and seen as, you know, seen really the, the, what that place is all about. Yeah. But, but is part of the round the world thing coming up with doing this, this sort of big trip is part of it, um, maybe to, to build motivate, not motivation. Cause you guys clearly have motivation, but to, to make a goal so that you have something to complete. Is, is it a way to uh, possibly become famous, raise money? I mean, like, is, is there some of that in there? I think that I, well, I personally really enjoy the challenge of like, like walk across New Zealand. You've got to get to this point. Um, it gives you a, a point of focus. Um, it gives you a structure to what you're doing. Yeah. It gives you, it's not aim, it's not aimless uh, as much as I think that's also an, a great way to travel I'm as well. I'm a bit more like the aimless person. Like I don't really <laughs> mind about going from A to B at all. Like I just want to go travel and experience nice things. But then there's always right. Oliver. No, we have to do from <laughs> this to there. Or if we go around a world trip, no, we're doing from there to there. Well, I think I suggested and said, right, let's, here's, here's my idea for a line. If this is the only way I can get you, I will go like, with you. <laughs> I just really liked the, I liked the, 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 um, the challenge of get, of, of starting here and getting to, you know, and, and doing this journey as it's not for me. It's interesting as well to see how everything connects and like just to to overland, to overland like in the proper way that you cross borders and you see. Sometimes it, it is so crazy because they, they you are in one country and you cross the border and the other country is completely different. Yeah, and this is just you don't experience this when you just fly into like the capital city maybe and then or take excursions or yeah, exactly. things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, I, I do believe overlanding yeah. is a really unique way of travel. Yeah. Uh, really, if you want to get in really in-depth mm-hmm. into it, 
I think overlanding is amazing for that. So um, you see so much. You see, you see the the road in between. You know, in between the places. Actually, you just not fly to to A and to B. You you experience everything in between. Every little shop on the side of the road, or people sitting there, or I don't know. Just yeah, it's, it's nice. It's a nice way. Yeah. So I liked the structure of of of. Okay, we'll start it in England. And logically, we should finish in England. Otherwise, you know, otherwise we've got a ex very expensive motorcycle, which is going to be left somewhere and have to be shipped. So I, I said, okay, let's start in England, finish in England. And then it was about drawing lines and seeing where we could go. And yeah, yeah. and on top of that, actually, we got the idea of the Guinness World Record yes. attempt because we, we searched online and we have seen that nobody has claimed this record. And we thought, okay, let's just go for it. Let me just ask a little bit, because there was something very revealing in what you said, Ollie, when, I think. And you said the word challenge. And, yes. and we can certainly see the... Um, the the quality of doing the roaming travel definitely you know no no schedule get up in the morning decide where to go but then there is something to be said for having that challenge isn't there for for setting something up and saying okay yes we're just roaming around well let's make a challenge today we want to we want to make this goal or in the next week or in the next six months or whatever we, we we talk about this every now and then on this show about um, setting up a challenge for yourself on an adventure and I think it's notable that you guys did the roaming thing around. And then all of a sudden, that then after you've done that for a while, you decided, okay, well, at least Ollie did. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let's let's set a challenge. <laughs> let's set a challenge. Well, it sounds like it's more Ollie's thing, though, right? Setting the challenge and Perhaps. going. Which I, I mean, but but I was as well like saying, let's go from here to there, and let's go through this country and that country. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, it, I think definitely the 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 the, the challenge aspect of it. I think it gives you, it does give you a certain amount of motivation for sure um, to keep going because these journeys are incredibly difficult. And if you know you're, you're, you're going to achieve um, what you've set out to do at the end of it, it definitely helps with motivation. But I also find that it can be quite freeing to, to have out of your hands where you don't have to, you don't have to think, where oh where are we where should we go now where do we go where what are we going to go see what are we going it's right. we're on this journey and and we can definitely you know plan points of interest as we're going along and things like this but we know the direction we're going it's been it's like it's like predetermined for us in which direction we're going when we got to the bottom of south america we knew the direction was to go north up the coast towards north america and having that direction I just think it was it was quite freeing for us because then again then it gives you again more time to you know you've got to wake up you know where you've got to go then you can you can it's more time to just be it's more time to it's, you're on that journey the same was exactly like when you're walking you know you just got to keep walking south until you get to the end of New Zealand and that free that frees you up for thinking about other things just being contemplating, I think. Mm. Yeah. No, and it's a bit of a metaphor for life, isn't it? I mean, you, you know, if you get up every day and you don't really have a goal, you, you end up walking around in circles sort of thing. Whereas if you have a goal, and I guess, you know, thinking back to what you guys have done, I mean, you did have sort of some, like at least certainly with a hike, you know, that was a goal. You were on a track, you had a, a, a beginning and an ending to it that you were going to and probably had a rough schedule in your mind where you're going. But, but this whole round the world of motorcycle, I mean, that, that is a challenge. I mean, now you're throwing in shipping a motorcycle 
and and a lot of things. So I guess as you're working through this idea of we're going to ride around the world on a motorcycle, that's where you came up with, uh, hey, you know, we'll we'll look at the the uh, the Guinness Book as well. Yeah, I had a friend that I was working with in London, and um, and he was the the first person to to mention it because he actually uh, in 2016 tried to become the youngest male to circumnavigate the globe by motorcycle. That's where I had heard about it before. He didn't succeed. He, 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 he I think he, he, I think he came to Germany and then he's like, oh, he started, started partying and then, and then kind of gave up on it, I think. Um, and he, he did get, uh, he got as far as Pakistan, um, but didn't get all the way around the world. But I'd already, so then I'd already known about the fact that there was a youngest male to circumnavigate the globe by motorcycle record that had already been Which claimed. Ben King. Uh, that would have been Ben King. Yes. Right. Yes. We, we, had, we had him on the show. Yeah. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I used to work at Apple with Ben um, before we both, before either of us had traveled. Um, we're talking, yeah, 2014, 15. Uh, mm-hmm. We worked together for a couple of years at, the, at Apple in London. Um, and that's where we would go for, go for beers after work and talk about, oh, we want to do these journeys, want to do this and that. And, and, uh, and that's when, when I started to travel, I went, I went to Australia to buy a camper van and he bought a motorcycle and started motorcycling. And and we, we had, didn't have that on our radar for so many years. And, but we didn't know at the, at the start that there was, that we could have any record from it. So I just sent an email over to Guinness and I just said to them, um, oh, there's the youngest male to circumnavigate the globe, but I don't see any sort of team records. I wonder if we could apply for some sort of two up, two people on one motorcycle team record under the same criteria, exactly the same criteria of what they deem a circumnavigation is. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when they came back to us with the suggestion of youngest pair to circumnavigate the globe by motorcycle. Uh, as Lavi said before, um, record that hadn't been claimed yet. Nobody had attempted to do that under their criteria of what they wanted. Um, so they said, guys, go for it. We'll, you know, whatever age you are when you finish, um, if you do it under the criteria, that'll be, you'll set the age. Oh, I see. So you, you're, 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 it's a shoe in. <laughs> it's, it's, it's super easy. All you got to do, just ride, just ride around the whole world, get back and you're done. You, then you, right, no, you, you no can competition. finish at 80 and you'll be fine. No competition. Exactly. Because people were saying to us uh, along the way, oh, you know, oh, we could get the record for the oldest couple to ride around the world. And, you know, I was saying to them, no, if you do it now, before we get back, you would be the youngest because there is no That's youngest. Right. Anyone would be the youngest. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break while I tell you about two things. Stay with us. we got a lot more coming up. While I'm recording this right now, it is wintertime, so I'm not riding my motorcycle. I don't use my helmet. I don't use my riding jacket or pants, but I do use my Pearly's Possum socks because in the ultimate context of having a double use or even a triple use for everything... Pearly's Possum socks are perfect for cold weather, period, on the bike or off the bike. These socks are made of a special blend of possum fur and merino wool, and they are by far the best cold weather socks I've ever tried. I mean, I started backpacking when I was like 12 or 13 years old. In the beginning, I didn't have a clue. I mean, I packed canned food in a cast iron frying pan, but but a lot's changed since then. 
And I spent a good deal of time over the years looking for great outdoor products. And I have some tough criteria for them as well. So when I say that Pearly's Possum Socks are the best I've ever tried, I'm serious. I made these the official sock of Adventure Rider Radio, not because they're good socks, but because they're amazing socks. I'm not overselling them. These are thick and comfortable. The natural fibers of the possum fur and the merino wool wicks away moisture. It resists mold and mildew so they don't stink with repeated unwashed use. And even when they're wet, they still retain heat. Now, on top of that, they're made for riding motorcycles. One version they have, the tallest ones, which are my personal favorite because they go to the top of my riding boots. I use them with hiking boots and I just fold the top over. Keeping warm and dry is far better than trying to warm up and dry off after the fact. And when we're riding, once our feet are cold, it's extremely difficult to get them warmed up again because they get stuck back into the boot and shoved down onto a cold metal foot peg. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com Standing on your foot pegs gives you more control over your motorcycle. And this is obvious anytime you watch any great rider. You'll see them transfer their weight front to back, lean side to side, bend their knees, all while standing on their foot pegs. Standing offers just tons of advantages. And when you stand, if you think about it, your only solid connection between you and your motorcycle is between your boots and your foot pegs, or at least it should be. And if you're on IMS products foot pegs, you'll feel what I felt when I switched to IMS because the the difference was absolutely night and day. Grip, contact, control, and the wider platform gives you leverage, leverage to get more out of your bike. As well, the larger platform is more comfortable standing or sitting. IMS Products has been making parts for riders like us since 1976, and they pour everything into their complete line of adventure motorcycle footpegs, From the large platforms of their ADV-1 and ADV-2, which are perfect for fire roads or mile after mile riding down the the highways, on down in size to their core enduro, which is their more aggressive for off-road orientated riding, IMS Products has a peg to suit your style. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you deal with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. So what does that do for you, though? I mean, why go for the Guinness thing? I mean, doesn't that add some little, a little bit of a headache, even just the keeping track of things and following the rules? Um, well, because um, we, we, we formed the trip uh, of going around the world beforehand anyway, and uh, the record criteria um, didn't require a lot of changes to what we'd wanted to do because we didn't want to spend years and years and years and years riding around. So we wanted it to be um, cause the Guinness world record criteria was that you can't, um, you can't stop for more than two weeks in any place. And we, from the beginning, we said, you know what, two weeks, um, you, you know, you can stay for a place in two weeks. You could move a couple of miles down the road. You could stay for another two weeks if you wanted to. But mm-hmm. anyway, we had, didn't have any goal of spending five years doing this journey. So for us, the record kind of just fitted so well into what we'd already wanted to do. And you know what? We also thought that, um, we might, it might help us to, to ask for, uh, sponsorship gear, things like this at the beginning, because of course we're starting with not very much money. Um, not, you know, we had savings from this work we'd done in Australia, New Zealand, a little bit in England. Um, but we didn't have like a huge amount of money saved. So for us, it was about if we can incorporate this, hopefully raise the profile of the trip, it might help us to, 
um, to, to work with companies. And mostly that was a failure because actually, actually most companies, um, weren't really interested, um, because we hadn't done anything. We hadn't ridden motorcycles before. We didn't have any sort of portfolio of we've done this or that, um, on motorcycles particularly. So motorcycle brands, and we didn't get a lot of traction on that, but there was a dealership in my hometown, Northampton, England, um, called Motorcycle World. And we um, just went into the reception and said, we want to ride around the world. We're looking for a sponsor for, for a motorcycle. And um, I think it was, yeah, a couple of weeks later, because we, and we said, we want to do it as a Guinness World Record and blah, blah, blah. And um, the marketing manager of the dealership brought us in for a meeting and they are the guys that offered us the motorcycle that we ended up taking around the world wow. um, as a, as a sort of loan, like, okay, we'll loan this bike to you. It's an X demo Suzuki V strom 1050 XT. You take, you can take that for the trip, bring it back to us at the end in one piece and <laughs> all is well. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible because a dealership to do that for yeah. you, because um, that's something you expect at a, at a national level, even an international level from a motorcycle company. Considering that, you know, Suzuki themselves at the beginning and um, all other brands that we approached um, uh, weren't interested to help us out. In the end, yeah, it wasn't a brand. It wasn't particularly one motorcycle brand that, that, that did it. It was, yeah, it was a dealership. It was just a local dealership. They have many brands of bike that they sell. And it just happened that, that they offered us this X demo Suzuki V-Strom. And that's why we ended up riding a Suzuki bike. And yeah. yeah. So what, let's just hang on. The, the dealership name, who is it again? So this is Motorcycle World in Northampton, England. And they sell all kinds of motorcycles. And they, they're a dealer for Yamaha, Aprilia, Suzuki, a um, couple of English brands, Herald. And um, yeah, they, 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 they do multiple brands. They're just a yeah, multi-brand dealership, motorcycle shop, basically. Yeah, and they're doing clothing as well. And they're having like a very nice cafe slash restaurant as well. So yes. yeah, it's, it's, it's a perfect place to hang out. And so this is a big place. Yes. It's, it's, a, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's like one place. of those, it's in an industrial sort of, it's like a sort of warehousey type vibe um, with, two, with, with two levels and a lot of motorcycles. Oh, yeah. Indian as well. They stock Indian too. Yeah. Um, wow, what a sense of adventure they have. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy, you know, that yeah. like we, we couldn't believe it when they offered us a bike, really, considering mm -hmm. that, you know, we didn't have any traction on any, anyone else at all. And, and they were just... Um, they were just interested in, in the idea for the trip. They hadn't even sponsored people um, particularly before or anything, but they just they were just inspired by it. They just said, you know, well, that sounds amazing. We want to be a part of that. If you're going to try for this Guinness world record and you know, and you're going to po post it online and then, yeah, we want to support you. We want to be a part of it. And I just think from how early on that was, um, with our following being, it was really small at the time. And I think that was just amazing from them really. Did you play it cool when you got the offer, you know, said, well, okay, we're going to check and look at this offer and, and t get back to you. <laughs> we <laughs> We said, I think I we was said, screaming into his face and jumping on him. <laughs> I think, we, I think we just said, we didn't, we didn't even ask what bike it was. We no. just said, we just said, yeah, sure. We'll take it. And it wasn't until a week or two later that, that they called us up and said, okay, the bike is, uh, um, a 10, 1050 XT V-Strom, 1000 CC bike. And I was just on the phone, like, 
Okay. Oh. Yeah, that sounds fine. <laughs> was like, like, did your license even cover it? Uh, yeah, I did have a full motorcycle license. Um, did, yeah. So that was fine. Um, Lavi doesn't have a license, um, so she couldn't ride it. But um, I had never ridden a 1,000cc bike and rarely, rarely ridden with a pillion behind me either. Um, but you know what? It was free. That was the point. It was free. They said to us, well... <laughs> You can have this bike. So we said, you know what? We've got to take it. It's a, otherwise it's, it's a $15,000 bike. We can't, we can't say no, we've got to just do it because for our budget for the trip, this is basically, we, I don't think we would have been able to afford it. Had yeah, we but not, not got it. the story <laughs> about the bike or oh, no. So they, they gave me the bike. Um, and it was the big, like leaving from the, from the, dealership to bring it back home and the whole dealership was you know standing outside the front and they were just closing up and the manager and the owner and, oh, and then yeah. they like here's the bike and i'm like oh amazing oh thank you oh great and i i you know i i turn it on and i i i go out towards the edge of the car park and then i just fall over completely fall over to one side i put my foot down but my foot just collapses i didn't realize how heavy these bikes are these big bikes and i'd never ridden one before and it was just like i just completely collapsed the bike fell on the ground it was a total disaster the whole... everyone was like oh yeah you're going around the world yeah okay. and we were just about to ride off like it was about a month oh, before shit. the trip started and oh it was like okay i've got a lot of learning to do really oh my god it was did you scary. expect them to come out and say look forget it forget it <laughs> <laughs> they were actually really friendly. They came like straight away and helped you actually to pick up the they bike. They did, because I couldn't pick it up on my own. In fact, even me and Lavi together can't pick up this bike, really. I mean, with, with, without a lot of difficulty. Um, and uh, and then we, we said, okay, we'll take it on a bit of a test run. Um, so we'll do a little bit of, um, you know, gravel tracks uh, around my area. And there we fell off twice and broke the clutch lever and I had to bring oh, it no. back to Motorcycle World and tell them, guys, we've already broken it. It was the first <laughs> week of having it. We've already damaged the chassis and broken the clutch lever. And we haven't even started the trip and they had to order a new clutch lever for us. And, and yeah, I don't know why at this point they weren't thinking like, we're never going to see this bike again. <laughs> That's right. Or it might come back in a box. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would yeah. love to have been a fly on the wall at the dealership, you know, after you rode out that first day and hear exactly what they thought. Maybe we made a mistake here. I don't know. I think that they thought it would be an adventure. And that, that's, I yeah. think, yeah, I think that's that's what it ended up being. But the reality is, I mean, as we all know, with, with adventure motorcycling, you, you drop your bike. Everybody does. I mean, you know, your bike is dropped all the time. But but that's the worst time, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the and, uh, yeah that's when we up. bought bark busters for it, for the handlebars, because we right. were, yeah, because we didn't have them. And that's why we got the damage to the chassis and got the damage to the uh to the clutch lever. And then after we got the bark busters, we had a crash bar on it. That was great. After that, no problem. Um, we yeah. could drop it another, yeah, I think, how many times did we drop the bike? Many times. 40 times, 50 <laughs> times on the trip. A lot of times it was it was dropped. I'm just wondering what you guys would have done if you showed up at the dealership to, to get the bike or they phoned you up and they said, yeah, we got a 125cc scooter here for you. We would have taken it. We would have taken. <laughs> you would have, wouldn't you? <laughs> we would have taken anything that was free. I mean, we were looking into buying a bike ourselves. Um, like we were like, okay, if we don't get offered a bike from anyone, we'll have to buy a bike ourselves. Okay, what's a cheap bike? And I actually posted on 
on online forums. What bike can I buy for under a thousand pounds that can take me around the world? And and it's funny, funny because it's a lot of people mentioned actually the Suzuki V Strong. Yeah, but the nineteen eighties version yes. probably. Right. <laughs> like the, yeah, a nineteen ninety six V Strong will do the job with two hundred thousand miles on the clock. Yeah, but that's right. I, I mean, yeah, it's funny because actually. Um, people did suggest that the yeah. V-Strom could do it. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, if we hadn't have had that, we would have ended up with something that would have needed a lot of work along yeah. the way. And we were just yeah. blessed to be able to receive this bike that was only two years old, had less than 10,000 on the clock and was just impeccable basically for the whole journey. Yeah. No, the V-Strom's a, a great bike. I mean, you hear so many great things about it, but okay. So let's talk about the, the journey. So then what do you do? You've got this bike. What's the plan? So... So yes, the plan was to circumnavigate the globe and that was to go down through Europe and uh, there, there we have a map on our, you know, you can see the map on our YouTube channel, on our Instagram, um, go down through Europe, through North Africa to Dakar in Senegal, and then ship the bike from Senegal to Brazil to Rio de Janeiro, ride from Rio de Janeiro to the very bottom of South America, which is called Ushuaia on the island of Tierra del Fuego. and then turn around and head up the Pacific coast through all South America, Central America, US, and reach Vancouver, Canada, and then ship the bike from Vancouver, Canada over to Asia and ride around Russia, Mongolia, Kazakhstan, across the Caspian Sea, Azerbaijan, Georgia, Turkey, and then back across Europe to finish the journey in England where we started. That sounds pretty easy. I mean, I guess that's... <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Most of it was actually straightforward. It's just riding. It's just riding. But as you mentioned uh, earlier, um, logistics, shipping, borders. And as well, a big point for us was the health, actually, because every new continent or sometimes even every new country, uh, we got so sick because all these different bacterials just like you know, got us and we, we spend a lot of time actually being, being sick on the road as well. Oh, yeah. do, do you remember at what point that you started to feel comfortable on this bike? I mean, you mentioned it's a thousand CC, big bike, you're riding two up, you've got a bunch of gear on, you got to feel so loaded when you start off. But do you remember at what point where you sort of realized that, Hey, I think I'm getting this. I think, um, I think that by the end by the end of the African leg, when we, had re when we were reaching Senegal, that was 7,000 miles into the journey. We were starting to get fall off a bit less and be a bit more comfortable. That was starting to become better. But then what happened is because we, had, we shipped it by container ship from Senegal to Brazil, and that took three months in the end because of shipping delays. And we had to wait oh, three no. months for it. When we got back on the bike in Brazil, it was almost like starting again because we had yeah. had three months off the bike and then we had to kind of get comfortable all over again. But by the time I think we had reached the bottom of South America, a few thousand miles after leaving Rio, we were definitely, we were falling over less. We were in our stride. And um, from then on, I think, I think from then until the end, it was it until wasn't Mongolia. <laughs> until uh, then, Mongolia was <laughs> just a, just a whole new story. It doesn't matter how advanced you are riding those riding those trails that they've got there. That's just you're starting from the beginning again. It doesn't matter what you've done. You're a novice. <laughs> did you did you take any training sort of off road or anything like that before you left on this? I wish I had done. I wish I had done something. Mm. There were some things I learned later that would have helped me a lot, but I didn't know. I did. It was 
people's, I didn't do any training. We didn't do any training together. It was people's comments on YouTube that helped from time to time. Every time I fell off, there was a lot of people commenting, you do this, do that, do this. So, okay, we'll try do this, do that. They were, they were, <laughs> they were, they were, we were being messaged videos, training videos by people like you, you right. need to know this. You need to know how to do sand. You need to know how to, we didn't know anything. <laughs> and I, I think that, yeah, I, the training was, was going through Morocco was really the, the, that was the off-road training. That's where we started to really do more trails. We did some sand, we did this, we did, and we, we, it helped us to improve a lot. It was just train as you go. Mm. Well, the thing with learning though, as you go, though, is really the school of hard knocks. You fall down and then you have to go back and figure out if you have the ability to figure out what did I do wrong and what could I do to make it work? Whereas, like you said, if you took a, a course to begin with, you'd learn those basic things that you build on from there. Yeah, we've been offered some courses now. So perhaps now is a good time for us to... <laughs> no, never to, too late. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah. well, you know, we, we, we've got more journeys coming up. So we, we're, you know, there's no, it's never too late. Anyway, Lavi's starting from the beginning now. So Lavi yeah. will do all the training and she'll <laughs> go into the motorcycling world as a proper motorcyclist, <laughs> unlike me. Oh, so Lavi, you're getting your license or you've got your license? I will get my license. She's ah. on the way. I'm she's on the way. way. Um, now, will you get that in Germany or in the UK? In the UK. Right. Because in Germany, it's even more difficult, isn't it? Yes, it is. And it's much more expensive as well. Like, I'm surprised yeah. how easy it is here in England. In Germany, you need at least like, you know, like a month of like solid going to school, learning everything, right. doing classes, doing like a private training, all of these things. And here in England, it's like, yeah, it's, it's easier. Yeah. But that's, the, that's our next step is, um, um, Le Levy's done the, the basic training and the theory test all passed yes! first time. It's great. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, Thank you. And now it's, uh, yeah, um, it's that's the next step for us. Is um, Lavi will do the full license course, and then, and then we'll be riding two motorcycles instead of one for the next adventure. So, th doesn't this really? I mean, doesn't it? It definitely. I should say. I mean, it, obviously, it increases your your cost of travel having a motorcycle because you're paying for maintenance. I mean, I know you got the bike, but you've got to pay for fuel, and, you, and you've got to pay for your maintenance and things like that. Is that more of a burden for you guys? It was surprising how cheap in fuel it was, I thought, over the whole journey. I mean, we did the calculation, didn't we? Um, do you remember where we were at for the whole journey? I think for the, for the first year, we did the calculation and we had only spent... Three thousand pounds in fuel. No, it was less. It was less. even less. Yeah, yeah. We, mm. we, I don't know exactly how much, but it wasn't less than three thousand. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. Way less than three thousand. So perhaps it was three thousand even for the whole journey. I have to check. We we've wow. got the spreadsheet. I haven't done the full calculation, but we're not talking like a, a huge, huge amount for for a few years for a twenty month, well, five hundred and eighty nine day trip. Yeah, let's say as well that the next journeys there will be uh, a little bit smaller, and we will um, we have to adjust. Of course, we have to adjust and see what what we can do, like how, how much money we have, how much we can spend. Yes, yes. But, but as far as the bike goes, breakdowns, tires, things like that, you like that wasn't that expensive. Um, not too, well, not too just, bad. Just but, in America, hey? Oh yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. When we hit the US and we sort of said, yeah, let's book it in for its service. Mm -hmm. Let's get entire. And, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't realize the cost of, yeah. um, that you have to pay uh, the garages per hour for the work they do. Um, it's really expensive. Mm -hmm. I, I think that bill was like $1,500. It was so 
so compared much. to perhaps two or three hundred yes. in in South and Central South America, America. Mm-hmm. right? And and then so then after that we said all right we'll do the next service you know we did one in Kazakhstan yeah and it uh, was eighty it was oh it was eighty <laughs> eighty pounds yes. that? yeah yeah so. Actually, you know what? Um, um, and in terms of tires, because we started on uh, tires which were Dunlop Trailmax Mission tires, they mm. lasted us for sixteen thousand miles. And Ooh. we then got a couple of cheaper sets in South America, just two other sets, and then we put ourselves in San Diego back on Dunlop Trailmax missions. Um, and those Trailmax missions took us all the way back to England. Really. So that's really good. We only had four sets then, four sets of tires during the whole trip. Um, so, and because, like I said, we were blessed with such a um, n- newer, bike, yes. new and reliable bike that we didn't need anything. There was no major expense for for repairs. Uh, we didn't have anything major. The only things that we had going on um, were suspension. Were, was the the shock, mm-hmm, the, shock. the suspension that we had rebuilt for a, a 300 or so and then in the end actually the dealership um sent us out another shock in kazakhstan um and covered the cost of that so again those guys Your just sponsored being, dealership yeah exactly those guys yeah. were just super awesome and we didn't even ask for it we said you know um could you look at ordering that part from suzuki and and they decided to cover the cost again of that and that's just that kind of help was definitely yeah Mm-hmm. meant that we were able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a common one, you know, especially traveling two up, but it's a common one anyway, the, the rear shock. Did you put a, a stock shock on? Was that what you ended up replacing it with again? Yeah. The same one we had because we figured that the first one had lasted us so long and mm-hmm. we figured that we only had at that point less than 10,000 miles to go. So we thought, okay, we don't need to do an upgrade on the shock as much as for a future trip, it would have been good. But for this bike, we only had that much left. Yeah. We thought that's going to last. Yeah, because Bumblebee is retired now. Yes. Yeah. Th- that's the bike, Bumblebee? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bumblebee. <laughs> what do you mean retired? You, you had to give it back to the dealer though. Yes. We gave it back to the dealership and um, they have put it on display. So we've yeah. left So we've left the, the panniers and the box and everything, stickers, everything as it was. And they've they've put it up on the top, on the, on the upper floor. They actually... They actually hoisted it up the stairs with six people. Uh, they brought it up to the top floor, which is normally the cafe and the clothing, and it's up there at the top of the stairs. So if anybody wants to go to see the legendary Bumblebee, then Bumblebee is at Motorcycle World in Northampton, proudly on display with a little plaque. That is really neat. So that, that gives them something to as a, as a showpiece there, something for people to come and see. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, and we're also going to be doing a, a talk um, at... At, at there and uh, continue to, to continue to work with them in various aspects in the future. I'm sure because um, yeah, it's good good for good for the both of us definitely. So this this new adventure that you've you've sort of been on with this motorcycle, it's like a new style of travel. I mean, was it difficult? Was it a steep learning curve? Can you talk a bit about that? Well, we had already um, we were quite adept at kind of living on the road in various forms. So we had ba- we were basically using the same setup that we did on the hiking trip, the biking trip, um, a little bit less than what we would have had in a camper van. But effectively, we just transferred what that exact setup to the motorcycle, the same cooking, the same same sort of diet. Um, that part of it. Yeah, we even had the same tent we same were tent. using on same our New Zealand right. hike. And the same tent, yeah. cycling trip. <laughs> the hike, the cycling trip, and now... 589 days around the world. 
well, no, we, no, no, we we had to replace it. We we did replace it. Ah, uh, because we America. were offered. Ah, uh, because we were offered. Because yeah. uh, uh, we were offered again for free a new tent. Yes. And again, if you got something offered for free, you've just got to say yes to it. But it did. But they tended incredibly well the first one. Uh, so it wasn't difficult for us from that perspective. Um, but yeah, I mean, the physicality of riding a motorcycle um, doesn't sound doesn't sound too physical, but for riding it as many hours as we did every single day, uh, it was incredibly tough physically to do that. And to keep ourselves healthy was incredibly tough. I, it was a, such a much longer trip than we'd ever done before. In one go, we couldn't stop. We couldn't go home. We couldn't, uh, you know, we, it, we were on that journey for 20 months. So that part of it, the, long, the, the length of it was what, what really became tough um, for sure. Yeah. Lavi, riding on the back of the bike, I mean, you seem like you're a very independent person. Did you get frustrated sitting behind Ollie all that time? Did, yes. Is that part of what, did <laughs> yes. you, can you talk about that? Yeah, it's, it, it was hard. I thought we were going to die every day. <laughs> so yeah, it, it, as, a, as a passenger, it, it's quite hard because you're completely out of control. You you can't, you know, you can just, I could just talk to Ollie and say to him that it's red traffic light. There's a stop sign. There's a dog. <laughs> Be careful here. <laughs> this car is like right next to us. It will hit us in a second. So I was driving the whole time with him, actually. Like, I couldn't keep my eyes off the road. So, yeah, I went through a lot, of course, as well. But on the other hand, on the other side, uh, I'm so happy that I could just sit on the back of the bike and enjoy the views and enjoy uh, just the surroundings. Because sometimes I felt really sorry for Ollie. He had to do all the hard work. He had to ride the whole time. And I was like right. sitting there and he was just like my taxi around the world. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I felt very, very, yeah. And, and Ollie, for, for you sitting at fr- on, in, in front, listening to somebody <laughs> behind you all the time saying, watch out for their <laughs> yeah. middle aid. Yeah. The yeah. Come, what was that like for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I I just had to, I had to do my best for sure. I had to... Um, but, um, I, I ended up, you know, adopting a style, which was a very, very safe, nice and easy, slow going riding style. I think that people on their own riding don't ride like that. And so I did have to adjust the way that I was riding, um, so that Lavi would be happier, as happy as she could be, but no, it was, it was fine. It was, it was really good. It would have obviously sharing the riding would probably have been, uh, would probably have been better in the mm-hmm. end. But, um, I was, I think as well, I was very, uh, by the end I was very experienced. So I knew that I could do the job, get the job done safely and that, that we did. So what about you guys as a couple? How, how did you deal with that? What was that like? Well, I, again, because we had, um, been, um, for, 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 for couples going on a big trip who have never, who haven't done something like this, um, then they're kind of, perhaps people could see, could think that they were, that you're suddenly you're in each other's space, you're in each other's face all the time. Um, and that can be difficult for couples if they've lived, say, a domestic home kind of lifestyle, perhaps, where they've gone off to work and seen each other in the evenings and all this. Mm-hmm. Um, but for us, since the day we've met, it's been like that the whole time. So since the day we've met, we've been um, all the time together any job we had, we were working side by side. And when we're not working, we were side by side. During the walk, we were side by side on the bicycles. Um, 
And so it wasn't actually too much different from our regular lifestyle to be basically with each other all day, every day, side by side, because we were so used to that anyway. But it, I think it was, I think there was, it was good that actually, as I'm riding along, I can't see you. So almost <laughs> like if I don't talk to you, I'm just riding on my own. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that was good for sometimes, but overall, we didn't struggle too much with that aspect. We were so used to being being in each other's space or not having any space, that type yeah. of thing. That's just, you know, the way we've lived life for so yeah. many years. Yeah, and of course, if, like w when we were fighting because of something like really silly, then we just had to like step back both, just breathe and just realize what what crazy thing we're actually doing here together. And that, of course, this is like way more than any silly uh, fight could make up for. So it's, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and you so could, you guys actually had, had arguments then. That's, uh, that sounds so unusual. <laughs> oh, uh, what's going on there? <laughs> you can, well, you can walk, um, you can walk off so far, but I mean, how far into the Sahara do you want to walk before yeah, you turn right. around and come back? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was, and I was going to ask, I was going to ask if you had sort of a method for dealing with, I mean, because you've done so much travel together, do you have a method for dealing with a problem? <laughs> like when you guys have a dispute, Is there, is there sort of a, a set protocol that you go through where you, you, you know, either go off in your directions or whatever it is? Do you have a protocol for that? Um, I think we both realized that, I think we both realized the separation of the situation from individual problems. And also it's about, I think a lot about relinquishing the, the each ego, each person's ego. So a lot of people are so attached with their with their, with their ego that they get, can get offended and they think, mm -hmm. you know, they're tying their opinion on a situation with, with themselves or, and I think we were very, we were, we were very good at just seeing a problem in a situation is not a problem with either of us two. It's a, it's the situation that's, uh, that's difficult. Um, and I think just realizing that definitely helps not to start taking it out on each other or, or starting to like attack each other's character. I think. The fact that we, we're both accepting each other's character as it is, is really important. Mm -hmm. Now you, you've done all this traveling together and you're, you're back and you're, you're, I mean, you're still working on this trip. You will get the award, as you said, <laughs> is the next trip, you're going to go for the oldest now? <laughs> <laughs> we, um... Yeah, we're still, so we're waiting at the moment to hear back from, from Guinness World Records. Um, we will, um, by, by beginning of March, we will have the answer from them, but everything should be good with that. We've done, done as, as was, as, as the plan that we'd laid out to them at the beginning. So that should be absolutely fine. Now it was, it was basically about looking again at the map of the world and seeing what areas we hadn't, uh, what areas we felt like would be interesting to go to, um, what areas we hadn't been to and what, um, but all in a much smaller capacity, as Larry said before, um, we figured, that's why, you know, we figured after we've done this one big long trip around the world, the one, my one takeaway from it was that I don't want to do such a long journey anymore because I believe that you will get more enthusiasm and enjoyment out of it if you're limiting it to a few months. Um, I, so our upcoming trips that we're thinking about for this year are going to be, um, still a few months, but each one, each one smaller. Mm. So did you find on this trip, there were times where you were just sort of get tired of it? 
I, I mean, I, I know think, that can sound spoiled in a way, you know, no, like for, I mean, yeah, for people no, I listening. Mean, after after so many days um, in a row, you know, you you are tied to the journey. You are tied to where you're going, and you, yeah, you you you. you some sometimes we were like, it would be amazing to just to just stop this for a while and go back to it. Um, yeah. You know, uh, have a real break. Um, have have a have you know six months off <laughs> from a holiday from a holiday. Yeah. No, no, it's because it's, it's the, the, the health, the physical demands, the day after day after day. There's, you need a lot of determination to do 589 days in a row on the journey, really. And yeah, yeah. I think the main part as well, the health, we, we, were, we, weren't, we weren't healthy at the end. We were really like exhausted and skinny and just, yeah, sick. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Did you have a schedule where you had time off each week or, or did you set anything up like that? Or was it just go, go, go? Um, when we could, we did. Um, but it, because our journey, the, because the limit for the journey, because it was nothing to do with the record, it was actually more a seasonal limit because it's summer in the South. We had to be there during the summer. And then we had to cross, um, Siberia, Kazakhstan, during the summer in the Northern hemisphere. Otherwise, again, it's like minus 20 is snowing. You know, we, we mm. wanted to plan it in a way that avoided those extreme, crazy climates. So we sort of did summer in the North, followed by summer in the South, followed by summer in the North and then finish. Um, that meant that the, the, that was the time schedule. That was it. We had to, we had to be sort of started the journey in April, 2022 we had to be sort of December, Jan in the, at the south of South America. Then we had to cross the whole of, we had to get back up through South America and across Asia um, before the end of the summer 2023. But of course, the container shipping from Senegal to Brazil, yes. and they, uh, they, they, they said to us it will take five weeks originally, but then it took three months. So we lost actually two months. Mm-hmm. And that meant we had to go a little bit faster than we wanted to. Mm-hmm. And then as well, mm-hmm. we did one massive <laughs> error with our um, calculation, calculation where I, yes. where, yeah, where I had basically, what? What, what was this? I repeated a month <laughs> in the schedule. Um, so from the beginning, you know, we said, all right, that's fine. We've got a month there, month there, month there. We found out coming into Central America that actually, oh no, this is same month we were supposed to be here i was yes, basically yeah. we yeah because we basically, repeated we lost, a whole, we lost a whole month oh, you, oh, i was thinking you gained a month you didn't gain a month you no, lost a month we lost there. a month yeah. oh, we lost so a now you lost two months yeah, yeah we we lost yeah exactly and yeah. that meant that again we had to just make sure that we were keeping on track it wasn't impossible schedule by any means yeah. Yeah. you yeah. know i'm not talking about 500 miles a day um mm-hmm. but it just meant that we maybe yeah we, we didn't have as much time off as we would have wanted and as well, managing our YouTube channel, so editing and all the channel management that goes with it, posting and interacting and all those right. things that comes with being YouTubers means that it's like working two jobs at the same time. Just doing the journey alone is a full-time job, but we were doing a full-time job posting the content, editing and making the videos all by ourselves, that that right. was then the secondary job. So effectively, we just didn't have free time for the whole trip. <laughs> <laughs> you know, from the, from the outside looking at it, it's easy to look at it and go, come on, you're on vacation. It's got to be all fun. But when you're on something that long, it does become kind of like a job, doesn't it? I mean, and it, yeah. it's, a, it's a way of life, but in a way, it's a job. And you've got certain things that need to be done each day. 
it, there isn't the convenience of, of going back and sort of flopping on your couch. You, you run into a routine and the routine is things that you actually, you guys have to do on the road. Yeah, it's 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 completely a full-time job. Anything that you do, even if you love it so much, if you do it enough, it's going to become a it's going to become a job to you. And as much as I absolutely love that job, that job description for me is amazing. Um with a little bit more free time, that would be perfect. But it was still absolutely amazing and you just had to resign yourself to the fact that if we want to do this and we want to live this, um we can't the winter's going to come. We've got to do it. And if we don't do it, um then then that's, you know, we wanted to do it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we just, you know, yeah, we just had to do it. Otherwise it would be yeah. waiting a whole nother year for the mm-hmm. season to come around again. And, um, yeah. and we were very happy with the idea of a two, two year trip from the very beginning. That's what we had wanted. We were happy with a two year trip. We didn't want it to be a, a three year trip. I wanted to ask you about one thing. You went into Russia at one point and that that yes. is probably not required by Guinness. Cause I remember we had Bridget McCutcheon on who, who did, uh, she's the, the youngest female to circle the, the globe yes. by motorcycle now. And, and she was told actually to stay out of Russia from, from what I understand. Yes. Why did you guys we, just, what happened there? We, well, we, it's funny. We actually met up with Bridget on the salt flats of uni in Bolivia. We had been, oh. because we had actually been, um, uh, we had FaceTimed uh, while she was planning her trip. We were actually mm-hmm. planning our trip at the same time. You see, we pretty much left in a similar time. She was like maybe three months later than than us. Um, so we had actually been in communication about um, about all the trip planning, and uh, she was asking us. We were a little bit further ahead in the planning stages, so she was asking us about all this criteria and things. And and we actually ended up spending camping with her a night on the salt flats as she was heading south in South yeah. America. Nice. We were yeah. heading north. And normally oh, the plan great. was it to meet her again in Turkey. Yeah, on the other way around, yes. the next part where we crossed. Oh, but she was slightly ahead and she had already turned south into the Middle East yes. as we were coming up through Georgia. Mm-hmm. And so we actually missed her on the second on the second uh, time around. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, she is super, super cool. Um, I know that um, we had made our route plan a long, t- uh, quite a long time before, and we had already liaised with Guinness about it. And our route plan had uh, the part of Russia was Vladivostok, which is the one of the most eastern Siberian cities. Vladivostok around to Lake Baikal, and into Mongolia, and that was the that was the planned Russian section. Um, and we had given the route to Guinness World Records already, and they had already approved it for us. And I think because Bridget's plan was to enter Russia in the east and head pretty much a lot through Russia, perhaps they thought that that was maybe a risk for her. I'm not sure on the details, but for us in this Siberian section, you know, um, very, very far into Eastern Siberia, they didn't mention to us any issue with that part. And actually Russia was, was necessary for our record because we had to reach two antipodal points on two points on the opposite side of the globe as part of the criteria for the records. And our two points were Lake Baikal in Russia and Puerto Natales in the very South of Chile. And I know that for Bridget's record, she chose one in Malaysia and the opposite side of that. I don't know where it was, but hers was her, her antipodal point was in Southeast Asia, whereas our antipodal point, we didn't go to Southeast Asia. So our antipodal point was, was actually Lake Baikal. So Guinness World Records had um, already approved that part of, part of it for us. So we 
just continued with that plan. Yeah, so hopefully uh. they will be all right with it. <laughs> we will find out <laughs> in a few weeks. <laughs> But so what about the whole thing of Russia right now with what's going on with Ukraine? Was that an issue? Did you guys have to deal with them? Just even the thought process of it? I mean, it was daunting to to think of, about going into Russia. But again, I, it was mostly because this was Eastern Siberia, so many tens, 10,000 miles away. And um, ethnically, this area, a lot of um, Mongolian ethnic people and um, Buryatia is the name of the states with Lake Baikal. And um, this is a, you know, a Buddhist state in the east of Russia. And very, I guess, that was one thing that's, that, that we thought would, would be all right. Um, and actually, from our experience going in, um, that was absolutely fine. And the local people there were so happy to see people traveling through, so happy to see tourists. They, we got many people coming up, hugging us. They hadn't seen tourists for the whole of COVID. And then obviously, since COVID is finished, they didn't open up tourism again either. So they hadn't seen tourists in many, many years. And we had a very, very good reception. And also, yeah. we had liaised with um, Kinga, who has the YouTube channel on her bike, and she had ridden this route through Siberia already. And so she had contacts of motorcycle clubs and motorcycle people who were happy to welcome in travelers as well. So we stayed with a lot of Russian locals who were bikers themselves, and then they took us around. So we were entering Russia as part of the biking community, as bikers, and they, that's how they saw us. And it was it's not a, it wasn't a case of nationalities and borders. It was of course. bikers... Uh, like entering Russia or, or like uh, crossing the border was always very, very scary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like when you're at the border with the border guards yes, and the military. It's like the yeah. most scariest thing ever. But <laughs> when you're actually in the country, you had the people there, they, yeah, like Oli said, they're hugging you. They came over. They want to talk to you. I mean, they just speak Russian and we don't speak Russian, but they were <laughs> keeping talking to us. And it was so nice because you could feel their, their, their pain as well, because of course they know what's going on as well. And it, yeah, it was like, it was a different connection even with, um, with the people from Russia because they, yeah, they, they suffering. Oh, definitely. My thought was going in was that, um, Russia officially has no reason not to welcome people in. Um, they, 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 so if we don't do anything wrong, mm -hmm. then there's no reason for them to, you know, send us to a prison camp or arrest us or anything. <laughs> um, you know, right. we, we didn't bring the drones into Russia just in case, just in case they Smart. thought maybe we were trying to, you know, spy or something. And so we, you know, we, we were being, we were very respectful, trying not yeah. to film the police and things like this. And, you know, and, um, we just went in with the thought process of we're just people, we're just traveling. Um, you know, the people here are just people as well. We just want to come in as, as people and forget this nationality thing. And yeah. if we don't do anything wrong, there's no reason for them to, to lock us up or whatever. And uh, although that, you know, when we went into the borders, they did interview us, ask us questions um, about why we're coming in and all this. But as soon as they, we showed them the map, we showed them the trip around the whole world and, you know, then, you know, they, you, Lavi went into the interview room with them, with all the border guards and, and, and you all came out like laughing and, and everybody was, <laughs> everybody was friendly. And then they come to me and they said, no, we don't need to interview you. It's fine because, um, she's told us about a whole trip and everything is great on your way. You know? Nice. That's it's another nice. example of, of governments, you yeah. know, do things. The people are completely different. 
it's government. Yeah, the government, the government making the decisions, government versus government, and I just yeah. don't think, I just don't believe that that should sp- uh, spill out onto onto people as much as it as much as it possibly, you know, as much as it can. Um, and it I also think- speaks to that motorcycle connection too, doesn't it? I mean, you know, yeah. you're going to see bikers and that connection, you know, the international connection, yeah. language connection. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. bar- it crosses all those barriers and the motorcycle connects you. Yeah, we spent nights in people's houses and they barely spoke any word of English, you know, but they give us their food. They, you know, they're helping us with the motorcycle. We, we're still trying to communicate with Google Translate and yeah, they, they, they you know, they didn't, um, it wasn't about where we're from. It was just, you know, we, we're on a, we're on a journey. We're traveling. We're, we, we love motorcycles. They, they love motorcycles. And that was all that was needed. And that was just amazing. And it was ended up, yeah, the same as any other country in the world. Same, the same welcome, the same connection as any other country. I asked you about your, your bicycle trip. If there was a point in that bicycle trip that you fell in love with bicycles, we clearly understand now that that, there was no point like that, that you crossed now motorcycles. I know you've ridden motorcycles. You've mentioned you'd ridden some motorcycles before, but it didn't sound like to me that there was a real connection there. Did you find that with the, with the motorcycle? Was there a point in this trip where you guys, both, both of you, both, both pillion and driver, did you guys fall in love with the motorcycle as a mode of travel? I mean, I, I think I know the answer, but I'm, I'm curious to to your to when it happened. When it happened, ooh. Well, well, there was well, there was a point where yeah. we. Um, it, I don't know if it's a specific point, but there was a point where we started, you know, noticing other bikes more and more and more as we're going along, and started to have conversations like, "Oh, I like the sound of that." you know, Africa twin, or oh, I like the sound of that engine. Oh, I like, you know, and this is something we would have never bothered about before, <laughs> never even focused on. Yeah, and we started, we started to look at other people's bikes that we'd met along the way and traveling mm-hmm. and, oh, that's a nice GS there. And, and we were sort of, we sort of <laughs> fell into the world of motorcycle adventure and, um, you know, and then with our connection with, um, adventure bike rider magazine and all this, and we, and following all these Instagram accounts and connecting with all these different motorcycle travel groups. And yeah, we, we're now like solidly in, into motorcycle travel <laughs> and we'll continue yeah. to do motorcycle travel after this trip. It's like, it's not now going to be a, a case of we'll go back to walking, we'll go back to bicycles necessarily. No, it's like now I think we, we really, really like motorcycle travel now. Oh, and that's exactly what I was wondering, whether, whether there was a full transition and whether you will continue off or whether you're talking about, you know, yeah. getting on a sailboat or something like that or riding well, scooters or... Well, I mean, from like a, it's, it's also from a practical perspective. Um, if you want to go on, if you want to travel and go on trails, you, 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 you can cycle, you can walk, but this is exhausting and slow. You can, you could take a four wheel drive or a Unimog, but this is very, very expensive. If you want to live in it as well, very expensive. So the motorcycle is really this middle ground of, it can get you as far as you want to go, it can do four wheel drive as much as a four wheel drive can do. It can do everything. Um, and it's cheap, it's cheaper to run, it's cheaper to buy, it's cheaper to maintain. So from, it's also just from a practical perspective of travel. We just, we know that the next time we want to travel next journey, um, motorcycling is going to be the most cost effective and the best experience yeah. that we can have. Yeah, especially I, I found that you are so connected with your surroundings when you're on a motorcycle compared to a van where you always, you, you close the door and 
there is no connection to the mm -hmm. outer world. It's like you have your little world inside the van, but with the motorcycle, you you can't just like close your, your yourself up in the motorcycle. You're no. always there, standing next to your bike, <laughs> and people coming always up to yeah. you. And this is it's always nice. You have always something to talk about, and people coming, and they're wanting to see your motorbike, and yeah. it's. So nice, I love it. You can close your visor, yeah. but <laughs> you, when you can't, you still have to talk to somebody. We don't even have uh, tinted visors, so so no, you got nothing. You can't hide. You can't hide from yeah. the world. Yeah, and this is what I really love about motor motorcycle travel that you're just you're just so connected with your surroundings. In a way, it it forces you to interact, even yes, at times exactly. where you might feel yes. you would hide otherwise. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, we will continue with this form of travel. Um, yeah, sure. we may, we may do cycle and walking in the future for sure, mm -hmm. but the upcoming trip, uh, the next trip will be a motorcycle trip. That's for sure. What would you guys say to, to people who, you know, are considering some sort of adventure, maybe not something as grand as what you guys are doing, but something and they're, and they're sort of sitting on the fence. It depends. It really depends on, you know, the reason why somebody would be would be seeing on the fence. I mean, a lot of, for a lot of people it's because they think they, we mentioned it a little bit before it's because they believe that they need this, that, and the other before they can start. They need all the, all the gear. They need everything perfect. They need everything to be perfect before they start. And, you know, from all the trips we've done, I mean, we started the hike in New Zealand. Lavi had bought the shoes from, uh, from what do you call it in the U S from a secondhand shop, like, uh, from a thrift store. Right. She'd bought the shoes from a thrift store. Um, for the bicycles, we bought them secondhand for a hundred pounds. For the for the for the motorcycle, had we not been sponsored the motorcycle, it would have certainly been a secondhand motorcycle. Um, and it's um, we're just trying to, you know, we, we from what we've done, we can, it shows that you don't need to 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 spend your whole life saving and saving and buying a gear and saving a bike when. You, you just, you've really got to try to just simplify it and just go. And, and actually we know people who have done big journeys on very small scooters or small bikes or anything, anything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what, um, what form of, what form of transport it is, you know, it can do the job. Um, you can just, a lot of people, they have those barriers. They think they need so much to do it. And, you know, you really don't, you really don't need much more than the basics. Yeah. And I think as well, you just have to really, really try to unlock your brain because I know exactly how it feels like the fear and you're really afraid and scared. I'm even scared now thinking about our next trip. So I think it's just mm -hmm. the normal emotion that comes with when you um, think about something you haven't done or you haven't seen before, but it's so crazy because after one or two days, you are already used to it. And then you are like, wow, that's actually really, really cool. And I learned so many new things and I see so many nice places. And then you are like hooked to it, like immediately. So just try to, to jump over your fear and try to get past this point and just buy this plane ticket or buy this bike and just, just do it. I was speaking with Lavi Scholl and Ollie Gamblin in the UK. You can follow them on their social media or visit their YouTube channel at Lavi and Ollie. Now, of course, we've got photos and links in the show notes for this episode at our website, adventureriderradio.com.
Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, it about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course you. Thank you so much for listening to the show, being a part of the show by being a listener. Thank you so much for that. Hey, the show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. If you're not doing it already, we would really appreciate it if you just drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on support. Anything $10 or more gets you some of our Adventure Rider Radio stickers. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our Raw show. That's the other show that we do. I'm going to tell you about that. Or we would really appreciate it if you check out our patron account. So you can just sign up for that any amount for each month. And uh, anyway, drop by the website. Now, I mentioned our Raw show that comes out once a month. It comes out on the 21st of every month. It's a separate show that we do. You need to subscribe separately. Roundtable talks about motorcycle travel. It's lots of fun and very popular. So drop by anywhere you find podcasts and look at that or drop by our website. It's there as well, adventureriderradio.com. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you so much for listening and I will talk to you next week. Hi, this is Charlie Borman and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 